0: Hello my friends, I'm Shea Marville. Welcome to the second season of Let's Talk, a podcast dedicated to healing and growing through conversations, stories, and deep listening. We are an alchemy of one another. Talking helps us to relieve our burdens, to suffer less, because we are each other's medicine if we choose. So let's talk. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Let's Talk. On today's episode, I have a very special guest. She's a speaker. She's a coach. She talks about hard issues. Her name is Lena Sharma Seth, and she's the founder of Mending the Chasm, an experienced facilitator on issues of inclusivity, equity, diversity. She works with organizations from the inside. Take a listen to the show. Tell us what you think. Lena, welcome to Let's Talk, so let's talk. I have been just chomping at the bit to get you on the show. I look at your LinkedIn, I see all these things that you're doing in diversity, inclusion, belonging, and equity. And, you know, I've known you for a long time, but we haven't seen each other in many years, even before the pandemic. What, what's happening? What is happening, lady?
1: Ooh, a lot but I want to just congratulate you. you've been your podcast has blown up. It's been such a privilege <laughs> to see the amazing people you're talking to and uh, really happy to be joining you for this conversation. And yeah it's been quite a ride the last couple of years uh, in terms of my personal growth, uh, stepping into the world of entrepreneurship, uh, launching you know a, a business uh, and so really
0: it's been quite the ride. Oh, wait. Okay. So, you know, just, you said so many things right there, but I'm going to ask you about your resilience right now. How, what are you doing as an entrepreneur, as a mom, as, you know, someone building a new business in a very complicated uh, type of social environment? What are you doing for your resilience and your wellness right now?
1: What a fabulous question. And it's, it's something I'm thinking about a lot more these days. You know, we're continuing to live through a pandemic with all the things as you named socially. I think there's a lot we're carrying. And of course, all the things you named around business growth and being a mom to two young girls. Uh, it's, it's, been, it's been a priority for me actually to center my wellness and my you know to be asking myself, how am I feeling today? You know, how full is my cup? Because when I think about resilience, Um, I was listening to something recently that really was an aha moment for me, because I think many of us think about resilience as, as a personal, uh, just a personal quality to be working on, that if I'm just more resilient, that things will be fine, that, you know, when I'm not resilient, it's my fault. And what I've been, uh, what I've been coming to understand is this idea of, we can, there's some challenges in our lives that you just can't meditate away. There are some challenges in our lives that we're not going to like do an hour of a run on a treadmill and it'll be gone. So I've been dancing personally with that realization that I have to be conscious, you know, around what what is affecting um, my compromised feeling of resilience? What are the things to be able to even name them? rather than moving, you know, automatically and not being conscious of it, I think has been a a bit of a game changer for me to stop and pause, be compassionate with myself, um, that recognizing that there's a lot of balls. So many of us are carrying right now that we really don't have the muscle or the bandwidth, no matter how much we work out, no matter how much we eat well, Mm -hmm. uh, and to just acknowledge that. And so I think for me, what that's looked like is in addition to having my self care practices, which uh, really, I'm going to say is joy centered. Mm. I really am seeking joy in an intentional way in terms of whether and it's not all big things, it could be things like I'm going to color with my daughter for the next half an hour, and it's going to be just coloring and laughing. I mean, I don't get to do that in my workday. So when I have those moments, I just try to be present with them. And I think for you as a wellness professional, I'm sure you can appreciate um, I know that's one of the hats you wear, that how important presence is because when we're in a place of chaos, it's easy to give away our, 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 our focus to a million things
0: yes. and, and feel like we're not being effective anywhere. You know, I want to respectfully challenge you on something because I get challenged on this a lot and I find I find it to be frustrating that sometimes we have to, Validate the value of doing resilience work. So when you are doing the work every day of of healing, having difficult conversations, uh, finding ways to resolve conflict, how do you build resilience when you're constantly dealing with challenges? Mm.
1: So I, and I love a challenge. Let's, let's, let's model what it means to engage meaningfully with difference. So I welcome that and I love it. And Please. I, I felt like I had to offer what I did because I see so many struggling with that, you know, that internal narrative around that we're not enough, that we're not doing enough and we're not good enough. And I feel like in equity work, especially, you know, we, we all know that depending on the bodies we live in, the skin we're in, uh, mm-hmm. the lived experiences we have, our work, in building a world that's equitable, and I know we're going to talk about that, is different. And part of what I think the healing work for us who live, for those of us who live in brown bodies, black bodies, uh, LGBTQ bodies, bodies that are not dominant culture, I think part of our work is to acknowledge that there are system systemic forces that we are fighting. That it takes time to make those shifts, and sometimes we we accept it as a personal failure when we can't you know, I, I just couldn't respond to that 11th microaggression of the day, the way I should have, <laughs> hello, we're human. And even someone like me, like, uh, you know, who is doing equity inclusion work, and so many of my peers in this work, I really want to give shout outs to who are modeling what it means to to have a boundary. Because mm-hmm. in this work, I often do experience racism, which might sound like a weird thing. But People are reaching out to me for work, we're collaborating and we're talking, and I'm experiencing microaggressions in the conversations, in the work, and having to: ask, Yeah, and having to ask for accountability. If you think about it, it, isn't, it, is, it is actually intuitive, and I've come to I don't want to say expect it, but I've come to understand that while we work to shift systems, we're going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not saying that to let anybody off the hook. I think the secret of this moment. For me is not that okay we all have to be doing equity work in some shape or form and it's not about us thinking we're never going to make mistakes mm-hmm. it's about expecting that we're going to make mistakes but committing to repairing any harm we cause and so you know with mm-hmm. that framework in mind I feel like I, I can always feel my feet on the ground because of course the first time that happened I will say I was quite triggered and needed to take, take a good deep breath and, 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 you know, over time, you know, again, I'm a couple of years into my journey in terms of like standing at the helm of my own consultancy and so uh, there are moments that you can't plan for you can just be rooted in some sort of truth that you're like I don't know what's going to happen but I trust I'll know how to move through it. And so kind of coming back to the idea of resilience. I think we need to give ourselves um, the space and the grace to understand, you know, do your best, like taking care of ourselves, healing ourselves is the work for so many of us. Yes. And on that journey, it's not going to mean that we're going to be, you know, you know, we're not going to have a Teflon armor that will never feel anything that's coming at us or to us. It's about recognizing that, you know, let's stop beating ourselves up when Uh, things get through that we think we should be able to take in stride because I don't even know what stride looks like in this moment because if you told me three years ago (laughs) that we would be where we are I don't know I'd be like I don't know what you're talking about Jay. but Uh,
0: uh, I'm getting I'm getting little chills uh and it's not because the room is cold I'm getting chills but I'm curious I'm very curious and I think you know listeners would be curious also what do you uh, qualify as a microaggression? Like what's an example, if you're comfortable, you know, not to re-trigger, but what's an example of, you know, you're working with someone and they say something that you perceive as a microaggression?
1: For sure. And that is me catching me on the fly. I think one <laughs> of the examples is I, I will meet you where you are and I will I will do this one of the examples that stays in my mind is and it may not be as obvious as oh you know um, your english is great or like oh can i touch your hair it's not as obvious as that when you've been doing this work for a while and you see kind of some of the how the differences play out uh, one of the things that happened was i was doing some work with a client where we had we there was a process i recommended that's grounded in you know inclusive process design my training is in conflict analysis and management and the roots of that is creating conditions for conflict to happen in a, in a way that doesn't um, I'll I'll put it positively that allows us to address conflict in a compassionate, constructive, solution oriented way. Yes. uh, You know, and so, but, but, but that can look very scary and different for organizations who are used to doing things a certain way. And so when, when, as expected as we were in that process um, and it was a, it was a, I'll just put it as a strategic planning process where I I take a very different approach uh, to planning because of my work. Mm -hmm. And the, when, when things, when, when differences started to surface, um, because we had people with, you know, we had board members in this experience, we had staff, we had leadership. I take the approach of as many pieces of the system need to be in the room at the same time, planning and action planning should not be the domain of the privileged few with power. I don't, that's, that's just something I had to make transparent. <laughs> so as we were moving through this process, there was, you know, there was difference coming up and people were, I was actually, you know, being questioned around the process that, Oh, you must not have created a good process because we're all this difference in truth is coming up. And,
0: mm.
1: you know, thankfully I stood in the, in the fullness. It was a moment I could have backed down and said, well, ultimately it's your journey, but, uh, you know, from a place of integrity, it was important to me to defend the design, you know. And so what happened in the end was, you know, we kind of worked through, through through things and settled. And then in the end, I think the client really did understand it a little bit better. But I really knew that if I had been an older white man, I don't think my process would have been questioned in the way it was.
0: Interesting. And Interesting.
1: So that is a more nuanced context I'm offering you, but I think that these are the ways that, you know, the more you deepen your analysis and your ability to understand, you know, how power flows, how oppression works, um, mm-hmm. you have to stop and ask, right? So that's just one of the examples. Um, no, where- that's
0: really, I think it's interesting just because we throw out so many words and, and, you know, the word microaggression is, is used a lot and not always defined. And then, you know, you'll hear people say, well, it's actually not very micro, it's just aggressive. And I think sometimes until people hear examples of what Mm -hmm. is said, they don't know that that might be perceived in such a way, or they may not even question why they questioned you. You know, Mm -hmm. they they may not even feel like that. They might feel, well, that was very fair. Uh, and it makes me think, I know you, you know, your work is specifically around, you know, diversity, equity, but but you really focus a lot on inclusion in your work. So yeah. what does inclusion mean in this, in this space? What does that mean to mm. you? Yeah.
1: Inclusion to me means the choice to be, to stand in the fullness of my authentic voice and be. Accepted for it and be embraced for it um, to to know that it's welcome. Mm-hmm. So we hear language like, "Oh, I want to," you know. It's about tolerance. I, I I mean, I think many of us have moved past that idea that we deserve more than tolerance, right? We mm-hmm. deserve. Uh, and and to me, as I deepen my own knowledge uh, and and the ways that I am, for example, ableist. I I I really stand here in front of you. I'm not I'm not the expert who's got it all figured out. I am. Yeah. Quite knowledge, uh, knowledgeable, and have a bring a lived experience, of course. But I'm, I was working on a project last year um, that was supporting the development of a national autism strategy. And in that process, it really, it really was brought home to me the ways that I'm ableist, you know, because as oh. someone who is able-bodied and um, and recognizing that, hey, I'm able-bodied today. That could change. It gets a fluid state. Um, yes. But also recognizing the ways that um, I have a lot of learning to do. And, and you know, how do we you know, coming back to the idea of what does inclusion mean, I think it's the choice that everybody can 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 be who they are. And that might sound very simplistic. But when you think yeah. about how, how many people don't have the privilege of being able to show up as themselves. And I think uh, one of the reasons I even stepped into mending the chasm or created mending the chasm was this recognition that I could no longer, I'm going to say dim my shine, I was getting to the yes. point where I was like, I, I need to stand in the fullness of who I am. Um, I was saying that I think I'm becoming a shitty employee because <laughs> my language, because I can no longer take the BS that's being thrown at me. Or yes. you know, I do my best to, stay, to be authentic. I think about a, an example where I was interviewed for a role, just, just presented as who I am. I was known in the community and people knew what I could do and um was hired and really was subsequently told to like progressively turn down my volume like don't be who you are and like what why did you why did Mm. this was clearly not a fit if if you know maybe I was checking a box as a token only um space And, and really I'm not I'm not ready to I'm not ready to take that role and there's a lot of harm that happens beyond that that many of us who are just trying to pay the bills and raise our families, we don't have the privilege of walking away from jobs. So I don't want to say that um, that's what I'm, I'm I'm saying everybody should quit their jobs. But the great resignation is a thing. Um, (laughs) This is a moment here, you know, it's like the chickens are coming home to roost, so to speak, that if you're not uh, building inclusion intentionally, there's a moment here of choice. Um, And so people are going to take it if they can. But, you know, there were points in my life where I had to pay the bills and I had yes. to be in the place. And, but the, the cost to our mental health, you know, yes. is, is just so much. And so, I um, mean, especially in this pandemic moment that, yes, a lot of people are getting to work from home, but that doesn't protect you from
0: microaggressions. No, and I, and I mean, working from home is even more complicated because you are in um, your your domestic life and trying to juggle you know, work and whatever's happening in your home state. I, I wonder also in this moment, you know, it's 2022. And, you know, we've been in the pandemic for two years now. We're entering the third year. Things are starting to open up. Uh, there's been this social reckoning. But I'm also hearing a lot about a backlash that, that you know, and you maybe challenge me on this. Like I hear that there is a ghettoization of of people in you know specialists in diversity you know mm-hmm. where there, there's certain people who are focused on diversity and it's only people of color or look at, you know a certain way or, or have a certain sexuality and then um but they're not getting to move into other areas and then the other piece is that there's resentment because there's been so much conversation about diversity and equity and justice uh, and, and some people feel as though that's exclusionary. Like, what, are you hearing the same things? Or are you experiencing any of this backlash that I'm referring to? And there's a lot there. Uh, I think the first thing I would say,
1: and I don't know if, how well this answers your question, but one thing I've noticed in the last year and a half is that so many, the space has been flooded with people who have hung up a shingle, so to speak. <laughs> around. I can do this work. And I, I'm going to think I'm going to I'm going to share a conversation I had in the first few months when I decided I was going to start my business. There was a practitioner in the space who um, graciously gave me half an hour of her time. I was really in a place of connecting with folks on LinkedIn and saying, hey, do you have time for a conversation. I'm curious what you're seeing. You know, what are the challenges? What are the enabling factors? And And so this person like the first thing I said was like, essentially, show me your receipts. Tell me why yes. you think you should be doing this work. And with, with the compassionate, I took it at face value. I didn't take it as a criticism and I responded, but it's a question I've continued to sit with. And I loved her frame and she gave me some, some insights. And, um, and, and so what's happened in the last year is I've had folks reach out to me and say, you know, I'd love to talk to you about, you know, what you're doing and curious. I just started. And I've seen a spectrum of folks and, and, and some of it scares me and some of it encourages me. And I think what scares mm-hmm. me is when folks really haven't done the analysis to understand how power and privilege work and oppression. Maybe they've taken a certificate course. And, and then I took a certification as well that I don't think it's the thing that gives me my, um, m- it's not my superpower. It, it gave me a framework of a sort. But the thing that I've come to appreciate is there's no substitute for the analysis, the lived experience. And so Mm -hmm. some of these folks are out there because they see, I'm going to say, in a not so nice way, dollar signs that there's people that are ready to pay for this work. But there's such a responsibility. To me, this work is sacred. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, when you're in the heart of this work and the hard parts, people's lives are at stake. People's vulnerabilities, you're you're asking people to move from a place that's traumatized often or a lot of fear, and and it's not for the, you know, the faint of heart, honestly. So I think some folks haven't really thought it through. Uh, Mm -hmm. What inspires me is the amazing, amazing, like, people who are finding their voice in this moment and have so much to offer to um, advancing the field of practice, uh, building cultures that are inclusive. So I'm really, really inspired by that. Um, now, to answer your question about this backlash, I'm wondering if I can reframe the question. Please, I'd love to hear. Like, Tell me how, how would you
0: reframe it? I yeah. love that.
1: And the reframe, maybe it's not even reframing the question. But the way I see it is if you think about it, I'll start it from a personal um, transformation journey. So when we're on our journey of healing, transformation, improving our lives, you know, there's there's a couple of things that happen you're changing your status quo. So people around you tend to respond in a couple of ways. One of the ways is, you know, they either get on board with the change. They, they see that you're centering yourself, your needs, your wellness, and they want to see you become the be- best version of yourself. So they'll get in line. They'll either make space for the changes you need to make, or they'll change their behaviors to support that, right? Yes. The other way that some people go is that they are disrupted by the fact that you're centering yourself means you're not centering them anymore Mm -hmm. and so they'll do what they can to keep you in the status quo position they'll either not give you the time to make the changes you need or they'll keep resisting and rejecting the the asks you're making of like this is what is needed in this moment yes so I kind of liken it to that I, I don't know that I would use the language of backlash even in this time, I hope I can say, like, we're in this time where we're living through our country. There's this convoy that's been yep. happening, right? And, and I won't say too much about that. But, you know, this, this is really testing. I think we're more polarized than we've ever been. And, and, yes. um, and, and I have really had to dig deep to go, what is the silver lining here? And if that's even possible. And I think a silver lining I'm living with is this idea that we can never again say that this is, this is not our problem. I Mm -hmm. hope, you know, as Canadians, we understand that um, a movement like that, that was uh, able to get as far as it did, I'm going to say, even physically, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, that's rooted in, in, you know, it's, it's, and again, this might be up for debate, but rooted or aligned with white supremacist,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, nationalist, uh, right
0: wing. You're talking about the convoy of truckers to Ottawa and and some of the, the events that are popping up across Canada where... Uh, you know, people are protesting against the vaccine mandates and um, mm-hmm. and uh, etc. Yes, very very interesting, isn't it? Like, I mean, you know, it. I I do have a bias. One of the things that comes to mind every time I I see that see what's happening is mm-hmm. I understand the frustration of the truckers. Like I. I I get it. And and they're in an industry that is uh, going to change because of technology and Mm -hmm. and AI, no doubt. However, I also think about the science and the lives that have been saved because of these mandates. Mm -hmm. And I do think that because so many people have not been physically impacted by the pandemic they've been economically impacted they have a tendency to think this is not very serious Mm. right and that and that we're we are prolonging something that should have ended a long time ago when the reality is if you went to an icu unit in any hospital in ontario or across canada you would see that there are many, many people who are suffering from the results of of contracting COVID. So that's, Mm. uh, and i just lay that out. Like, I mean, like sometimes we jump to, well, that means we should do A or B. I'm just saying that's a reality. The reality of the truckers' lives, what they've lost, what's coming down the pike for them, that's a reality. The reality of all the people we've lost to COVID Um, and the people who are the long haulers of COVID and the suffering they're experiencing, that's a reality. It's also a reality that most of us do not succumb to COVID, which I think is phenomenal news. I think all those things are realities. I don't know why we aren't more focused on the gratitude of being able to survive Mm. what we've survived in the last two and a half or two years than to be fighting with each other. And then the other thing that always comes to mind, and here's where my bias really shows, is that in my mind, if those truckers were indigenous or black or brown, within 24 hours, that convoy would have been absolutely dismantled.
1: Ah. <laughs> and and, 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 and it wouldn't have been peaceful, there would have been death,
0: there would have been exactly absolutely <laughs> and, and I and I have a very close friend who who absolutely disagrees with me on this. And she said, and she always says, Well, what what I don't know, I don't see what your point is. It doesn't matter. The fact is that they're matter. not they're not being heard. I, and I say to you, to her, and I say to anyone listening, that it matters because it actually demonstrates the different states of privilege that we have in our society, right? And the reality is that some people have a right to protest and some people do not. And 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 that actually is a ground, is a space to actually unpack things.
1: Oh, you like speaking the words of my heart. And I, I did not mean to bring that up because I'm trying to challenge <laughs> va- anti-vaxxers or what what I exactly what you named is my challenge and as those of us living in these bodies that we do brown black marginalized in whatever way to see that to see like so I have to give you some some insight here my father was a truck driver Mm -hmm. and you know back you know 30 years ago it wasn't you know right now Punjabi uh, truck drivers is a thing and it's you know there's this but 30 years ago that wasn't the case and the racism and experiences my father had I saw none of that being raised in this, you know, and of course I know that wasn't the focus, but all this to say that first off, I'm doing my best as a human, you know, as a Canadian to to really work hard, not to lump everybody together. And that's, you know, when when you think about the way colonization was successful, it was about mm-hmm. othering and dehumanizing people so that they didn't matter. Yes. And I know that, I know that I don't have the power and the privilege to really, even if in my mind I'm like you don't count, and and I'm not proud if if I've ever had a moment like that. <laughs> but I I really need to dig deeper, and especially as a practitioner, I have to really work hard to understand. I mean, resource myself and you know build my own resilience and take care of myself. But I'm I'm, I'm really I've really been thinking about this. You know, everything that's been unfolding, and um, what I want to share is that I had a story. With, uh, I had a conversation with a friend of mine um, who who told me that he was, we were talking on the phone. I'd asked him a specific question and he was. I need to tell you something. He's like, I need you to take a breath. Cause you're probably going to be triggered. I, I need you to know that I'm actually at the convoy right now. Mm. And he's a, an, you know, he's a, a friend, someone I care about, somebody I trust. He is a, a white man. And he like, you know, flew in from where he lives yeah. Canada, booked a hotel, spent nearly two weeks there, And for me, I'm like, wow, if this is your your bid to support, you know, the movement for unity, I don't understand why this is the fight you're choosing. Like, that was my, you know, percolating inside. But the question, and he said to me, like, look, Lena, I walked around for nine days and I saw, um, and he sent me videos and pictures, right? And he said, look, I walked around and I saw Indigenous communities. I saw smudging happening. I saw ceremonies. I served food with Punjabi truck drivers to fellow Mm -hmm. truck drivers to homeless people and And I listened to him and and I I said, like, you know, I get that. I get that that could be your experience on the ground. But at the same time, I'm really grappling with what I understand about systemic oppression and and the bigger picture, because really, the one thing I think is not happening right now is we're not having enough conversations across the table, across difference. We're like writing each other off You're either pro-convoy or against convoy, pro-vaccine or against. And it's just a sharp division. Yes. And the opportunity that has opened up with this friend of mine is I'm actually in dialogue with him. And I'm not saying I'm going to change my views because I I, I, I tend to think if you're on the side that is aligned in any way with white supremacy, you need to ask yourself some questions, right? That, that, I mean, I, and I'm biased because of the work I do. So that's my bias yes. there. But what this experience with this friend has done is it's allowed some spaciousness within my spirit to, to understand that. if. It should always be all of us against the oppression, whatever it is. We're all scared of something. We're all exhausted. We're all uh, worried yes. about something. And how can we come back to our common values, what common ground we have to rehumanize each other, to remember that we're only going to get out of this together. You know, you're not going to oh. write off half the world because they don't agree with you. That, that's just not going to happen. So when we talk about resilience, and we talk about resourcing ourselves this is what we're resourcing ourselves for and if i can bring this back to inclusion and equity work for yes. a moment i get you know client groups and leaders and companies asking me like help mobilize my team like let's just get a call to action going and get the work started and i find there's often never a mention of with what energy and 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 you know
0: capacity capacity are they going to do
1: this and so um it's become so I'll tell you in January when we had to go into like what felt like lockdown again and there was virtual school in my experience that was probably the lowest point Mm -hmm. I noticed it like uh, you know a slew of my clients asked if we could recalibrate dates move things out because they just noticed that their teams were really suffering I was I was personally in that place too my my children were home and I like to say, like, I, I love my children, and I'm so grateful to be a mother, but I was not meant to be a
0: stay-at-home mom and yeah. full-time entrepreneur at the same time. And teacher, and teacher. Oh, yes. No, so- no, no but you, you bring up some, you know, some really important points that I, I, I just want us to, to, to unpack a little bit, because I appreciate mm-hmm. what you're saying. I, I think it is very important that we not make the truckers, in quotes, our enemy and 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 that and that we are not their enemy that there's no enemies in this because i don't know of anybody in the last 24 months who has not suffered something or many things right and when people are struggling economically and their choices are diminishing what happens they're they're not always going to make the best choices. And I think actually we're being failed right now by our politicians because maybe they don't have the skills to to build a a unity with different groups of people when you disagree with them. We have become so polarized that we cannot bear to talk to somebody we disagree with. And, and to your point about your friend, who obviously was friend enough that he called you to say, this is where I am. So he's not lying. He's not te- you know, trying to misrepresent. He's also there for his own reason. He's trying to pursue something, and he's sharing that with you. And then you're saying on top of that, okay, but here's what I'm hearing. Here's what I'm worried about. But you're still my friend, and I still care about you. And that's more important. See, to me, that is what helps us get to a solution. And the reality in my mind is that the greater issue for these truckers, more than mandates, is what is going to happen to their jobs when there are self-driving trucks. (laughs) Mm. And and that's what we should be actually talking about. But we're we're distracted. Mm. And then you get all these people coming in who want to use their suffering. Mm. to to bolster whatever hate or anger or or nonsense they are they they are experiencing or thinking about. So I think your work it your work and the and the work of practitioners in this space is more essential now because mm. diversity is not about a race alone and it's not just about how you look. It is about how we think.
1: Yes, and I I just love that you said so many great things here and and you're right that like there's there's what's coming in the distance that we're not um, it's one of those things though if we can't if our needs in this moment haven't been met it's like I think about Maslow's hierarchy a little bit right in terms of where people are at and when we when we when we when we can't hold space within ourselves for different perspectives that's a sign that, you know, we need to tend there's some, there's a need that we're not feeling that we, you know, and, and, and sometimes people aren't like tuning into that, right? Because I think yes. for those of us who, sometimes we have to not listen to our bodies to survive, right? Because to listen to my body is, and I'm, and that might sound contentious, but I no, think
0: about No, 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 go, right? let's go with it. Let's go with yeah, it. Yeah,
1: yeah, because, uh, and I've been doing some embodiment and somatic work, you know, and, and I really, you know, to, to work, to, to strengthen my ability to hold space for communities uh, mm-hmm. and also to heal myself. I'll be honest here, I'm on my own healing journey here to, to, to because I realized the more I heal myself, the more I can hold space that will- be conducive to healing for individuals, for communities, for systems, right? And so it's just this, this, this idea that um, we, we need to, we need to tend to that and, and, and we need to keep talking like the, the, if I could really say simply for anybody listening, that this moment is asking us to build our ability to engage with difference, to engage meaningfully with difference, to engage across difference, and to build solidarity across difference. And that last one, I want to give a shout out to Mia McKenzie uh, for that idea that is just mind-blowing. That And so really, if you can sit with that and say, okay, yes, there's the fancy language that comes, the jargon around equity, inclusion, belonging, and that's a whole other thing. And I don't mean to make that um, exclusive, by, you know, so forgive me if I use language that that is, uh, word, you know, jargony for the space. But if you can wrap your mind and your heart and your spirit around that, and that's, mm-hmm. and if you think about it, we actually already know how to do that. We may not do it well, but yes. we haven't, you know, we move through life where if you have more than one person in a room, you're usually compromising or some sort of has to be a mutual. Yes. And so if we can lean into some of our muscle, if we can do our healing work, if we can try and cultivate a belief that we are not the sum of one thing we believe we're all human. And we're all we all still want love. We all still want to be healthy. I want our families to do well, we want still want the same things. And so I think there's, there's a need. And and, and this friend of mine uh, that I told you about where he told me he was at the convoy, like, we've been in conversation of like, should we be recording our conversations?
0: Yes, because
1: he loves <laughs> me, he trusts me. And we're yes. in, in dialogue. I love him. I trust him. And I'm sitting with, you know, part, frankly, I'm like, I'm a little fr- frightened by that challenge of like, I am human and I have my moment still, but I'm feeling called to, to, to that space that this is what's there's not enough of in this moment that we need to. Exactly. Yeah.
0: You, you, that's exactly it. There's not enough of that. And then the other piece is beyond being human, which we all have in common that we love to forget is that we all are informed by by our experiences as human beings. And so what we see is often based on what we've seen. Yes. Right? And and what we and what we've perceived before informs what we are perceiving in the moment. Mm-hmm. And so until we can have conversations with with people that we have discord with, right? And and, and you will notice the people who really don't want us to be together. They can't, they always shut you down. They Mm. don't want to have a conversation, but a person who wants more will say, let's figure, let's talk about this. I don't know what the answer is, Mm. but but let's talk about it. I'm interested in what drove the truckers to where they were, Mm. even though I don't believe That if those truckers were brown and black and indigenous, that they would still there would still be a conversation today. I I think that would have, as I've said, you know, I think that would have been taken care of 20 within 24 hours. Yes. I do believe the fact that they have some sort of privilege matters and that there should be a conversation, many conversations with them about how they survive this moment because this is a survival issue and it's not just them. People all around the world, but specifically in Canada, there are a lot of people who are not going to make it to the end of this pandemic. They are not surviving. We've got to hear from them. We need to know their story. We need to know how to help them. Yes.
1: And and I want, if people are listening and I don't want them to leave with like, oh my goodness, I have to go out there and have conversations with people who don't agree with (laughs) me. yes and i want to offer some caveats cuz the more oh, of us yes, do it go. the more of us who can do it because the other thing is i've been talking to some of my white friends who are like oh god that convoy ah oh, you know i just i don't support it and i want it to go away i'm like okay great are you talking about it in your communities oh no i'm like are you going to let brown and black bodies be the ones talking about it and then get taken down for it because i have oh. some peers of mine who have been you know, because they're calling it for what it is, or just, you know, early, early days. And so I'm really trying to say, look, our bodies, our priv- the more privilege and power we have, the more we should be thinking about how we can step into some of these conversations. But you have to prepare yourself. And so I offer a couple of things that if you're thinking, if you're somehow inspired by this conversation, to go out and have some conversations, do it with people you have culture, community, uh, social capital with, first and foremost. Choose where and when you have these. You're not going to stop the guy at the grocery store wearing like the hat. Yo, I love the Freedom Convoy. You're not going to take that person on. I mean, if you have the, the bandwidth, go for it. But I'm very mindful all of us should be very careful with our resources right now and strategic. Yes. We're, have these conversations where you have love. Also mm-hmm. have boundaries. Have boundaries around uh, when and where you'll have the conversation. Mm -hmm. have uh, have community agreements have some common agreements that are like we promise to be respectful to each other Um, you know we speak one at a time have a couple of ground rules to support that and even if you just create those for yourself first and foremost so that you're feeling like there are places and spaces where I'll have the conversation and there's places and spaces and people I won't have it with and that's been that's been something I've had to learn because as more and more people, like I work in a co-working space right now. And so sometimes when I'm out in the common space, I'll have people, you know, they know the work I do and they'll say like, you know, I had one person say like e- equity, inclusion stuff, like it's not still an issue, is it? Mm. And of course, my inclination, he, he's an older white man. And then I only share that because it gives a sense of his social location and perhaps how he's moved through the world mm. that to even ask a question like that to me is indicative of your privilege that you don't I have know. to notice it. We don't have to navigate it. Right. And I had to really stop myself and go, is this a battle I want to take on? Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have to take this on. And so for all of us, um, especially, I, I mean, I, am saying for those of us who are um, holding a lot of trauma, I, it's not about, please don't set yourself up for more trauma. In, yeah. in these time. There are many of us who are, who are resourced and, and can have these conversations and I'm inviting those folks to please do that. Find ways to lean in and have some sort of you know, yeah. resource yourself to have these conversations. Support
0: to yeah. support. And, and I mean to, and, and not to, you know, do too much on the gentleman that you just mentioned, but it may be from his point of experience, things have changed dramatically. Mm. So, so that's where that, that question comes from. And, and, you know, the last question I want to sort of play with a controversial question with you is, uh, the idea of privilege. I understand that we in this in the work that we're doing around diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, there is a belief system around who is privileged, and there's a social construct around privilege. But what do you think it does if you feel that some people are privileged and some people are not privileged. What does it do for the people who are not who who are identified as not being privileged? Like what does that mean for them?
1: So I I I try to resist binaries. I actually have one of my community agreements is binaries are bullshit. Oh and, okay. uh, I, I, and I say this because
0: privilege, love it.
1: privilege is a all of us have uh, you know, if I if I can give a nod to intersect the idea of intersectionality, Kimberly Crenshaw. Yes, Um, civil rights activist, lawyer out of the U.S. who coined the term, and it's 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 this recognition that we experience oppression or privilege from an intersectional perspective. So for me, I'll give you an example. My when I use the word social location, that means I am a brown-bodied woman, cisgender, able uh, able able-bodied. I'm Hindu. Um, I was raised middle class. All those elements of my identity that make me who I am, and in some of those identities, I experience privilege. So as being able-bodied, I have a privileged identity on the spectrum of ability, right? Mm-hmm. As, a, as, a, as a woman, uh, the most privileged identity in a gender, you know, in a gender spectrum is male, I mean, yeah, male, and then on the other end is trans. Trans is probably the most, at least in our understanding yes. of uh, where we, right? And so if you do that analysis across all of your identities, it's actually not possible for anybody to not experience any privilege so Mm -hmm. I so when you were talking about privilege and and oppression it's about recognizing the ways that our identities and lived experiences have prevented us from having to experience things or protected us and Mm -hmm. how not having those privileges for some folks has really exposed them to harm And so to me, that's the bigger conversation. Like, really, let's move away. Privilege can be a triggering word for people who feel like, oh, I've earned everything I have. Yeah, we're not saying you haven't earned everything you have, but we're also saying you haven't had to experience these struggles to get to where you're going. And so sometimes this whole idea of meritocracy or bootstrap theory that just pull, if you don't have shoes, what bootstraps (laughs) are you going to pull yourself up with? And I mean, that's very simplistic there, but
0: I I love it, love it.
1: I think there's there's a there's there's a, there's learning we all need to do so that we come up to a place where we have common language, common understanding that and you talked about the politicians, right and and I think i don't, I'm not calling anybody out here, but I think each of us who are in positions of leadership need to ask ourselves what we're doing to to heal the world, to heal things? are we seeding divisions? are we um, yes. and, to re- and to put your hand up when you're like, I'm in over my head and I
0: need help <laughs> to ask. But the, you know, but, but the other thing is we as citizens, why are we supporting any leader or, or politician that has division in their language? Mm-hmm. So, so if there's any leader that says this group is bad or wrong, or you know, we're against them, or you know, like how? When, where is that going to create a solution of us, you know, kind of coming together? I, 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 I really appreciate how you're thinking and that you are in the trenches doing this work and that, and, and that you care so deeply about it, that you've dedicated your career to it. Um, I, I feel like I could keep talking to you. I, you know, I've got a new podcast starting called the Women, the the Billion Women's Club, and I, I want you to come on that show because I would like us to talk more about entrepreneurship in 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 social engagement. But I have here's the very very last question. Okay, All right. This is the last one. Should I take a deep breath? Take a deep <laughs> breath because it's it's going to be uncomfortable. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, do you think that It's privilege that gives Joe Rogan the the platform to say whatever he wants and then apologize for it and then and then keep going.
1: That's a really good question. And I think the easy answer is yes. And and the things that we're not looking at and it's the same for the convoy, because the thing that worried me most about all of this was not the fact that there's a Joe Rogan or that there's a convoy because those of us doing this work know that these elements exist. Exactly. What, yeah. what worried me most or saddened me most was the silence and indifference of those who either let it happen, watched oh it happen, God. didn't recognize the harm that was happening. Like to me, we're, we're, we're focused on the Rogans and the convoy, but we're not focusing on the silence of ordinary people, The yes and so to me we all have work to do here it's it's so easy to point out you're the bad person out there the truth is none of us is all good and none of us is all bad so again binaries binaries let's just eliminate those binaries and dwell in the gray of hey there's rogans out there and, and he is a, a, a totality of like the privilege that allowed him to even, because before this conversation, he said other things like my, heard, right. So the truth is this is not the only thing he said, but this is what's captured, you know, and again, so really, yes, that's, that's yes. alarming, but let's look at those of us who saw it and did nothing about it, but we knew it was wrong. And, and oh, those, yes and those in the systems at Spotify, right. I love what Brene Brown has, you know, she took a very, I'm going to say um, an allied approach around challenging Spotify. How are you changing your policies? Did she? Right? Yeah, she. You should look up, look it up. She really because she she was bound in a contract with Spotify that she couldn't just cancel. Like I think Neil Young asked for his music to be other yeah. artists. And to me, like to take your marbles and go home is not the answer. It's we have to stay engaged. And of course, there needs to be consequences. Accountability has to live somewhere. Because that's what I think was highlighted in the Rogan issue. Like, what what is the accountability for Spotify as a platform? Yeah, to no, totally. Content to support content. It's not about um, not having free speech. At least in my humble opinion, it's about is this stuff causing harm to people, and what's our our responsibility? So
0: exactly, and I and I think the other thing is. The, the constant preoccupation with trying to cancel someone never allows us to actually have a conversation of growth and healing with anyone, right? And, and I yeah. mean, you know, Joe Rogan said these things just a few years ago. So I, I, I doubt that he's really uh, changed but, mm-hmm. but the reality is that he was powerful enough. He was steadfast enough. I got to give it to him for endurance. He does three-hour podcasts. Um, but, but there was a platform powerful enough to pay him, you know, millions of dollars for what he was doing. So he's gotten a lot of feedback that says he's doing really well, right? Certain, and, from certain
1: segments of the community, from, right? Yeah.
0: Right, and so I I do think that that those are the conversations we have to have, rather than oh go home take your marbles home and can't you know and cancel him. It's not about that at all. Anyways, I don't I don't want you to take any marbles home. No, no, I want no. I to say one thing because you talked about
1: call in, call out, and I want to yes, say yeah. I, I'm I very much try to stay in a call in place, but I also want to acknowledge we talked about resilience and resourcing calling out is often the voice of folks who have not been heard, who have been systematically shut down. And so while I don't support call out as the first line of approach I do want to hold space that that when you see resistance revolution call out it comes because people have been unheard and silenced so yes. some of the folks who've chosen to call out are, are, are folks probably in a place of like we're we're not being given platform for voice because Rogan has such a platform and so for us like it's not about denouncing those who are asking to be seen heard mm. and maybe we don't agree with the way they're doing it But that doesn't take away from the truth of the message
0: most times. True. True. I appreciate that. Listen, I'm calling you out. Come back on this show anytime. Come back on the new show. I'm so grateful for your work. Grateful for your time. Thank you, Shay.
1: This has been an honor. Thank you. You're doing amazing work. The voices that you're centering, the
0: stories, the impact. Just love hearing you and so, so grateful uh, to, to have been a part of this today. Thank you, my friend. I'm so, so thankful. I want to wish you continued resilience, well-being, strength, strength, not (laughs) strength, stress, strength, and capacity and growth, and so much goodness to your family. I'm Shay Marville, and you've been listening to Let's Talk, a podcast dedicated to healing and growing. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and listen I need your help to grow the reach of this show. Could you, would you please subscribe, rate and review us on any platform that you're listening to. I'd love to hear your feedback. Ciao for now.